Welcome back to another episode of Things My Friends Know. I'm your host, Lisa Lindenfelser, and I'm here to talk with my friends about their passions. In today's episode, we chat with Jerry, the owner of Greenhouse of Walled Lake, about the journey of legalizing marijuana in Michigan and how Jerry focuses on local suppliers to support his medical clients. Well, hello and welcome. And we're here today with an extra special guest, Jerry, who is the owner of Greenhouse of Wild Lake. Jerry, we're so happy to have you. I'm extra special. I don't know how I'm going to live up to that uh, billing, but I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> we know you can do it. Um, and obviously, Jerry, we're here to talk about the cannabis industry, which is very a very hot topic, well, everywhere, but especially in Michigan, since it was just legalized recently in the past couple of years. So kind of diving straight in you you own the greenhouse of wild lake which is very successful right. and wonderful um how did you originally get into the cannabis industry um you know i worked in uh mixed martial arts the fight game I, well i started off as a sports anchor for utn 50 and cbs 62 in detroit and i moved to hollywood did i uh, worked for extra the tv show extra and i worked for the e-network and um, then i got offered a job in japan so i worked in japan to tokyo for about 10 years i commuted every month so i did about 200 trips and I have small children. I have young daughters and a young son. And I got sick of traveling. I've flown, you know, two hundred. I've flown two million miles total in my lifetime. So it's like ten wow. trips around the world. So I just wanted. To, I didn't want to travel as much. So I have some friends in Colorado and California, and you know they were doing very well in cannabis. I'm like, you know, let me look into this. So I looked into it, and I thought it would just be a a business venture. Started going. I do my research on anything I want to do before I just jump in. So I started going to some compassion club meetings. Um, in my area, thinking I'd be, you know, the oldest guy there and it'd be a bunch of stoners. But uh, it turns out that uh, it was a bunch of senior citizens and veterans and grandmas. And I was blown away. And for like four meetings, no one would talk to me. And I was like, what's going on? So I like the fourth meeting, I talked to this little old lady, like a grandma. And I said, what's ma'am? Why no, won't anybody talk to me here? And she's like, oh, honey, we thought you were the cops. <laughs> so they thought I was, I thought I would, they, no, they thought I was an undercover cop, like 21 Jump Street or something. I don't know. And they thought I was going to bust them. And, you know, that was, that was, that was 16, 17 years ago, which is wow. crazy to think about. And uh, so I thought, you know, I, so I heard their stories. I started listening. And back then people were getting raided and they were, you know, they, the, the police were like throwing motor oil and people's on their floor when they would raid them and in their, wow. they were peeing in their ovens. These, these uh, civil forfeiture SWAT teams were going in and destroying people's lives. And, and then I heard about all the medical benefits of it. And cause I, you know, listen, when I was in college and high school, I tried it a little bit, but I was like, eh, it's for druggies and stoners. And I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I bought, I bought into the dare say no to, to drugs, Nancy Reagan, <laughs> marijuana is the devil lettuce. And that go. is not the case. No, hundred percent. You know, I, I was, as a child, I think I was brainwashed, you know? And so I, I thought, you know what? I, I looked into it and I, I started growing. I got my medical card. And I learned to plan because you have to learn. You're going to get into business. You, you want to know all aspects of it. So I started growing and I learned about it and I slowly just started lobbying and lancing with a state rep named Mike Calton. He wrote the bills for the MMFLA for dispensaries and all that. So for years, I, I lobbied up in Lansing and worked my butt off with a bunch of other hardworking cannabis activists. And we uh, we got the laws passed. You know, it was very difficult. And we got them passed. And 
here we are now. I still am mixed martial arts. I manage a, a fighter by the name of Fedor Emelianenko. He's one of the top heavyweights in the world. Wow. Um, close to retirement. But uh, I manage a couple other guys under him, Russians. So I, I stay in the fight game because I, I love the fight game. And so I still do that. But uh, cannabis is now my full-time profession. Wow. I Very mean, cool. that's amazing. It's <laughs> that's almost crazy. like yeah. I <laughs> don't even know where to start. There's just so much to, to unpack there. That's amazing. Yeah, I've, I've led uh, an interesting life. I get bored real easy, and I, I like a challenge. And, you know, being on television as a kid here and, you know, coming from Wayne, Michigan, you know, growing up a little cable show I had and working my way up to, like, uh, you know, uh, Extra from Warner Brothers Television and the E! Network, I was, uh, you know, I was just shocked that I, I could, you know, achieve that. And then working in the fight game, working on the top levels of that and on cannabis, you know, I think I'm living proof of, that you can do anything you set your mind to. It's just how hard you want to work. And I busted my ass my whole life, and here we are now. Wow. That's that... awesome. We're trying to get people on Mars too soon, you know. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if I if I could afford it, I'd go. <laughs> In a heart, I think it'd be cool. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That'd be honestly terrifying, uh, for me anyway. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think that you kind of addressed this a little bit about re- already, but there's a lot of common misconceptions about marijuana usage and a lot of resistance, even being legalized in Michigan, there's a lot of resistance to the cannabis industry in general. So can you tell us like what you feel like some of the common misconceptions are about marijuana and like what you think about those things you know i I, it it all boils down to education you know like i had said um you know anybody that grew up during the nancy reagan dare to say you know dare to stay off drugs era um i think that as children we were brainwashed that marijuana is bad when it really was never looked into and if you look into the history of marijuana and how many thousands of years it's been used and why it's illegal now it's all about it's money money drives everything in our society unfortunately um and there's a lot of political reasons and money reasons that it was outlawed back in the day and if, if you watch some documentaries or read up on it you'll see it's not it's not it's like anything else if if it's misused it's not good but there are a lot of medicinal benefits and i think for the masses i feel like for some reason i feel like i'm the messenger to change the narrative mm-hmm. because i love to change the narrative you know and things and i, I was one of those naysayers i i'll stand right there with him and say look i was totally against it until I understood it. And now I understand it. And being an adult, I feel that if I choose to drink a bottle of vodka, I should be able to choose to smoke a marijuana cigarette. It's the same thing. It's a mind altering drug, but uh, cannabis doesn't destroy your body like alcohol does. And there are some medicinal benefits. There's no, the only medicinal benefit I've ever seen with alcohol is back in the Western days, they'd make you do a shot of whiskey before they cut your leg off. <laughs> right. Civil War, you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. No. And now, right. And you know, I've worked with a lot of young kids with epilepsy and seizures and autistic. And I see cancer patients and senior citizens every day at the greenhouse of Walt Lake. If you came into our store during the day and stood there, you would be shocked on the age of our of our customers, our patients and our customers. Um, you know, Charlie Langdon was in today for Fox two doing a story and he was he's like, sure, I can't believe how busy you are. And it's a lot of senior citizens. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people are in pain and especially during the pandemic, it's, you know, from sleep, to anxiety, the stress, to pain, cancer patients are coming through. So, you know, I feel kind of um, enlightened, but also kind of stupid that I fell for, you know, the brainwashing back in the day. Uh, but now I see the light and you never know what you're willing to try until you're in the in, in the situation. So if, if for the people that are naysayers, I'll just tell them, I'll say, listen, if you don't agree with using it, I understand. But if you're 
your loved one, your child, your parent, or you came down with cancer and a doctor says to you, we've given you every drug, I'm sorry, you know, and would you not try cannabis? Would you not want your loved one to try cannabis? I mean, you know, it, it, there is pain relief there and there is relief. And it's nice because even doctors are starting to come around. I have patients come in and say, my doctor actually told me he's given me every type of medicine for my, 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 my problem. And he finally just said, listen, there's nothing else I can do for you. Why don't you try medical marijuana? So the doctors are even starting to come around to it. And I think in the next five, 10 years, when our federal government finally gets off their ass, <laughs> declassifies it and allows, you know, the reason you don't see in the medical field positive stories on cannabis yet is because the federal government is not allowing studies to be done. Yeah. I mean, I go to seminars and conventions all the time with professors, legit smart professors of science and medicine. And they tell us, they show us, you know, screenshots and they show us videos and they show us denials by the FDA. I mean, not the FDA, by the, uh, by the DEA, because you mm -hmm. have to get the okay from the DEA to test on it. They won't let them test it. They will not let them find the benefits of cannabis yet. And I think it's crazy. And the only reason is, is money. The pharmaceutical companies have us by the, by the leg, you know, and yeah. we got to shake loose of that. There's a lot, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that a lot of the medicines they take today were originally derived from a plant mm. and like a bark from a tree in Brazil cures this. I mean, I've watched some documentaries on that and then they figure out a way to, you know, to, to make it, you know, artificially, but they've replicated something in the plant world. And this is just a plant with so many different properties that have not even been unlocked yet that it's crazy that the federal government won't let testing happen. Yeah, I mean, and that's actually a great point. You know, you mentioned that this is all about money. And um, I'm a huge fan of NPR. And they released an article just uh, this week or last week that basically said, you know, like people are concerned about marijuana because it will increase the amount of like vehicle accidents because people are driving under the influence or like worried about all of these negative implications. But what they found when they did their research on it was number one, it introduced an insane amount of jobs into the economy i think last year alone it added 770,000 jobs almost a million jobs um and they didn't really see any difference in terms of like vehicle accidents and things like that and so it sounds like you know like there is this level of like people just being scared of things that they're not super familiar with and 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 to your point because like the pharmaceutical companies have been such a part of our our lives for a long long time like it seems like there's a lot at play there. Oh, it's a hundred. It's all money. It's all money driven, you know, and even the alcohol companies behind closed doors right now, a lot of these companies, cigarette companies, medical companies, uh, they're figuring out ways to make money off this plant. I mean, the federal government says there's no medicinal value to cannabis, but the federal government holds a patent to THC and the FDA just approved the very first marijuana derived medicine epidurics i believe it is it's an epilepsy uh, epilepsy medicine that mm -hmm. is for epilepsy and it contains cannabis so the fda approved it but the federal government still says there's no medicinal value to cannabis which that makes no sense you know but i get it our government sucks any which way you slice it and they tell you one thing and they do another i mean they got one one part of the government says oh it's in this epilepsy medicine it's approved other part of the government says oh there's no medicinal value makes zero sense yeah but as soon as as soon as there's enough money in play and the big boys that are on the side i mean I hear, i'm hearing rumors that coca-cola is working on a drink right now i totally believe it because it's coming federally it will be, be legal there's yeah. the genie's out of the bottle you're never going to get it get it out there's so many medical states now and so many recreational states but on the federal level you know uh, you know we're more worried about infighting than trying to like help sick people
Yeah, which is just insane. Um, thinking about like all of the benefits that it can offer people who are in pain or who have different medical conditions that can benefit from it. So um, I think that's a really good segue into kind of talking a little bit more about your business in particular. So marijuana is legal in Michigan, but it is not legal federally. And one of the rumors that I've heard through the rumor mill is that, um, you know, like in Michigan, all of the dispensaries that you go to require you to pay in cash. Um, It's not that you're not paying taxes, but you have to pay in cash. And I heard (laughs) that it was because that you can't put any of your money in federal banks. So we have to pay with cash. Is, Is that true? Well, the deal is this. Number one, we do pay taxes. Last year, I paid the federal government $2.1 million in federal tax. Um, so, yeah, $2.1 million. I think we paid the state half a million in tax. Um, and the deal with cash is we can't – it's not because – like, as I have a bank. Like, I have a bank. All my money's in the bank. Mm-hmm. I have a armored car service that comes and picks up all the cash. So we have banking. As long as you're legit and you're vetted by a bank, you can get banking. It's very expensive. very expensive to have banking but we have banking and the reason we have to make it cash is because it is federally illegal the credit card companies will not process credit cards or debit cards because we're federally illegal so we have to be cash for that reason the credit card companies won't do business with us now mind you there's these fly-by-night companies that pop up and like we can do credit card processing for you for 15 percent and i'm like that's insane we'll just pass (laughs) it on to your customers i'm like i'm like I'm, the, I'm like the price of cannabis is already too high. I'm not going to charge somebody 15% to use a credit card. Yeah, that that that's crazy. And then what happens for us as a business owner, because these companies are kind of shifty. You know, if you allow your business to operate with one of these, because they they circumvent the credit card companies, they they kind of try to hide it as something else. Well, a lot of times, a lot of dispensaries that sign up with these companies are getting burned. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll have a half a million because you don't get your cash when, when like when the store buys when you buy something at the store with your credit card. The store is relying on the credit card company like Visa or American Express to pay them back. You can, have, of course, Visa and American Express are going to pay you the legitimate companies. But right. Crazy Uncle Larry's credit card that's <laughs> trying to find a roundabout way with Visa, you know, once they get busted by Visa, you don't get your money. So I know a bunch of companies in other states that are signed up with these fake, I call them fake credit card companies because mm-hmm. they really are fake and they get burned. So you don't get your money. So I won't even take the risk. Number one, I'm not going to do that to my customers and my patients, charge them 15% to use a credit card. And I can't, as a business owner, take a risk of not getting the money for my purchases Yeah, because it could put you out of business. So, you know, it's going to be cash for quite a while, but it's not true. There is banking, you know, you just have to make sure you're legit, you know, and I, you know, and we're super clean. So we run it the right way at the greenhouse. And so we do have banking. Oh yeah. It helps. Believe me. You know, we've heard stories of like not dispensaries, but the places where the actual product is being made, where there's just this huge safe in the middle of the facility where they keep all of their money. Have you have you heard these kinds of rumors? (laughs) Yeah, you know, and then yeah, and that was probably the case maybe five, six, seven years ago in Colorado or in California. But you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here in Michigan, even though sometimes with some of the laws that legislators pass, it feels like it. but no, you know, I mean, back in the day, that probably was the case. And, you know, there's still a lot of shifty owners out there. I'm not going to lie. And some people, <clears throat> I mean, I'll give you an example. It costs us $15,000 a month just to have banking. Wow. That's my fee a month. Wow. You know, the, the, ta- the, the fees we pay for everything are outrageous. And people are like, oh, you're making a million dollars a week in cannabis. Not true. It is. It's a good business. I'm not going to lie. But the problem is there's a tax code called IRS tax code 280E. 
And that means that I am considered a drug trafficker by the federal government. Even though I pay them crazy money in taxes, I'm still a drug trafficker. They don't come arrest me because they want my tax money. So we're, we're considered drug traffickers by, by the federal government. And, wow. You know, that's the big that's the biggest problem. So with 280E, I can't write off normal business expenses. I can't write off my employees. I can't write off my building taxes. I can't write off my electricity. I can't write off anything on my business because I'm supposedly illegal. So, you know, your profit margins in the cannabis industry are much smaller than any normal business and now when it goes federally legal that'll change and that that's the goal is that you know to keep business rocking and and when they do change the laws that's when we'll make a lot of money um right now i mean it's not terrible but you know it, there's a lot of fees and whenever somebody comes out to change a light bulb and they see you own a dispensary it goes from five dollars to fifty because they think you're making a billion dollars and believe me that is not the case wow it- that's just like crazy. I'm like processing all of this information that like people will charge you extra money because they like inherently believe that you're making, you know, tons and tons of money. That's insane. Oh, I, I mean, even people like even Walt Lake, some of the there's a couple surrounding businesses that want, you know, that have some parking lots in back that uh, some of my customers will park in, even though we have plenty of parking for our own. And these crazy people come at me like, your people are parking in my parking lot. I want $10,000 a month for you to, to, to rent my parking lot. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, like wow. $10,000 a month. Your parking lot is like, it holds 10 parking spots. <laughs> so, you know, no, it's, it's, it's insane. Everybody's like, oh, you're making all this money. I want my share. I'm like, how about working for free for 17 years and busting your ass to get the product legalized? Then we can talk. You mentioned earlier that you've worked really closely with, uh, you know, like lobbyist groups and different politicians to kind of get this legalization process in place. Like, can you tell us a little bit about what, like, where did you start? Like, how do you even go about such a change? You know, <laughs> whenever I do something, I do my research. So what I did is when I first started wanting to get into cannabis, I decided to do some research. I just went on the Internet and I wanted to look in who who's working on cannabis legislation up in Lansing. And uh it was Mike Calton, and I, I put on my suit uh, and went up to Lansing and met with Mike. And he's like, "Jerry, I need more people like you that can put on a suit and talk, and you know, not get up there and f the police, free the weed, you know, because <laughs> those protests, the industry, yeah. yeah, right, you know, yeah. respectfully, because you know, protest. There's a protest in Lansing every day now. You schedule it, it's a protest. Nobody cares about protests anymore. So I stepped in, and my background is television, from being you know a news reporter and all that. So I, my, my contribution to Mike was, I'm like, listen, you need to change the narrative. The general public believes it's a bunch of stoners sitting around eating Doritos and drinking Mountain Dew. I've seen patients. I've seen sick cancer patients. I've seen children. Those are the people we need to put in front and in the forefront of this to show that there is value in this and that people do use it for a medical reason. And he agreed. So over a four, six-year process, we slowly turned the narrative from stoners into patients and people that really need it. And we did a great job. I mean, to give you an example, there was a little girl named Bella who used cannabis for her seizures and for her, you know, for her ailment and her mother, Ida. And honestly, you know, she passed away a few years ago. And honestly, I feel if it weren't for this little girl, um, we wouldn't have legal cannabis here in Michigan. And unfortunately, wow. a lot of people don't even know who she is. And that's sad. Because Ida and Bella went room and door to door with us up in Lansing, knocking on senators' doors and knocking on these reps' doors, saying, look, Bella is living proof that she went from, you know, I don't know the exact number, from 300 seizures to 30 
to three in a month, you know, it made a huge difference in this little girl's life. And that really moved the politicians. You know, me going in saying, hey, make weed legal is one thing. But when you when you have a child and Ida doing that with Bella, you know, meant a lot. And it means a lot. Everybody that honestly uses cannabis legally here in Michigan owes a, a debt of gratitude to Bella and Ida. And a lot of people don't even know this little girl. But without them, I honestly feel we might not have got those bills passed. Sure. And and that's what and so we went around and for two years and we tried to get it passed. And, you know, I learned a lot about politics and lame duck and how it works and how all this shifty shit goes on in Lansing. And, <laughs> you know, we were, we, we, we could have got a pass sooner. But L. Brooks Patterson and Sheriff Bouchard at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, up in Lansing, they reached out to a state senator who we had one. We were going to we were going to get the bills passed with one vote. And the night before the vote, L. Brooks Patterson and Mr. Uh, Bouchard decided to write a letter and have all the sheriffs call the senators around the whole state. And they wrote a nine page letter. And I read it and it, it read like a nine like a nine year old wrote it. And they said, if you legalize cannabis, only criminals like Al Capone will run the industry. Well, I'm not Al Capone. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of helping people. So, but what had happened is the woman, the, the senator was she was in her last term and was her last day in the Senate. She was the deciding vote. They called her the night before is what she told us. This is what she's telling us. And they threatened her because she was going to work for Oakland County at the time. And they told her that when you come to Oakland County to work for us, we're going to make your life hell if you vote for this bill. She came out of the chambers before the vote in tears and told the parents that she had promised she'd vote for it, that she can't do it because they had threatened her. She was crying. So in, in, in Lansing, when you have a bill up for, you know, to get passed, if you get a no vote, it looks real bad and it's real hard to run it again. So we pulled the bill off the floor and we had to run it again. Cause after two years you have, it goes, it goes house committee, Senate, committee governor so we had to pull the bill off the floor during lame duck and it was the last chance we had to get it through and we had to start all over the next year Dang. committee house committee senate wow. we did it again but this bill should have passed a long time ago but l brooks patterson you know the staunch weed uh you know the weed you know enemy that he was really didn't want to pass and he threw a monkey wrench into it but we're here now and i think we're making a huge difference Wow. So it's like you're living like House of Cards in real life. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's so many stories that I couldn't tell you that would blow your mind. Well, I mean, it was all about money, you know, getting bills passed, you know, they, okay, you got to write a, write a check to my general campaign fund. Okay. Write another check. Okay. Can you write a check for this? Oh, I'm having a fundraiser for my campaign. Can you write a check for this? The cannabis community wrote so many checks to politicians to get this legal. It blows my mind. Wow. Wow. So um, you in in the process of getting the bill passed, you mentioned that one of the places that has to go is to the governor. So which governor actually yes. like signed this bill? Uh, Snyder did, actually. I, I find that surprising, especially because I think in my head and this could be totally incorrect, uh, but in my head, like I associate like the negativity about marijuana and the cannabis industry with the more conservative side of our political right. spectrum. Right. You know, um, not sure why he signed it. I think that if he didn't, it would have went back to the the Senate. And I think he would have had a super majority and he would have been overruled at that point. Oh. Um, so I don't think he wanted that embarrassment. And, <laughs> you know, the time had come, you know, and they all realized that the cannabis industry was sick of writing checks. You know, it's like we were tapped out. You know, we, you know, we don't have that much money to begin with. So I think they realized that if they don't do it now, um, it might not happen. And, you know, listen, the... the <laughs> The, the tax windfall for the state and for the local municipalities that are allowing dispensaries in 
it's it's great right now, but it's going to be phenomenal in the coming years. Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, for sure, as people get more and more established and see like the the benefits that it's offering. Um, so one of the things kind of along the same vein, one of the things that is, um, a common theme among the merchandise that you have at the greenhouse of Wald Lake is greenhouse versus corporate weed. We see that on your hats, on your t-shirts, um, lots of merch. So tell us what that actually means and why it's important. Uh, you know, I knew going in that when we made it medical, I knew that money would bring everybody out of the woodwork. And, you know, because the black market, the marijuana for years has made people billionaires, from what I understand. And, uh, you know, um, I knew that it would lead into recreational. And when you get into recreational, greed comes into play. and It's all about money to a lot of people. So, you know, my thing is cannabis was a culture and it still is. Eventually, it'll become a commodity. Um, but I just feel that there's a lot of nefarious characters that are coming in and writing the coattails of people like myself and a lot of other activists in the industry, and they're writing their coattails. And like, I, I, you know, I don't have any ill will towards them. But at the end of the day, if I go back 10 years and look at all the people that started this movement with me, there's probably 10% of them left in the game because wow. of all the hurdles that have been put in front of us, you know, between financial and, you know, in Walled Lake, I was lucky. I bought my building seven, eight years ago. And I bought it super cheap and I spent six years renovating it. And, uh, you know, Wald Lake was nice enough to think forward. And Wald Lake actually allowed dispensaries for the past seven, eight years. They gave a city license, but I knew there was no state license. So I actually earned a city license years two, maybe five years ago. And I had renovated it. I saved my money. I got a city license, but I never opened because I knew that Bouchard would come arrest me. He's not into weed. He had raided the other two facilities in Wald Lake several times. I got kids. I don't want to you know, have my dog shot and my kids scared. So I paid for my license in Wald Lake. I didn't open. I just kept it. And then the next year renewal came up. I paid for my license again. I didn't open. Um, I stayed shut because I didn't want Bouchard to come after me. And plus, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I'm in Lansing trying to make this legal on the state level. But here I am opening up illegally in Wald Lake. It wasn't a good look and I wasn't going to do that. So and I remember honestly, you know, um, you know, back in the day when I was going for licensing, I was on some of the, I, I worked on the board, I'm on the board of directors for the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association right now, but I also worked with LARA, the Licensing and Regulatory Affairs, and now it's the MRA, Marijuana Regulatory Agency. I was invited to the work groups to help write the rules and things like that. And I remember I was in the work group and one of the people on the board for licensing went around the room and asked our story. And I told them, I said, you know, I have a dispensary in Wald Lake. I didn't open. They're like, wait, wait, wait. They're like, what? Like, yeah, I have a dispensary in Wald Lake. I never opened. Like, wait, you had a license in the city of Wald Lake for two years and you did not open up. I said, absolutely. And they're like, holy shit, you're like the golden child. We've never heard of that. <laughs> and I said, I, you know, I want to do this the right way. And honestly, if I would have opened, it would have been all cash. I would have been buying caregiver product. There was no tracking, no taxes. I honestly probably gave up four or five million dollars easily tax free cash money. But it's important for me, I've been in this a long time, it's important for me to do this the right way and, and, and make sure that we put a good face on cannabis because of all the naysayers, I don't want to give them more ammunition. Yeah. And so I just, I did it the right way and we still, we still do it the right way at the greenhouse. So when you say greenhouse versus corporate weed, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like what you're saying when you have large corporations take over any business, there's a lot of nefarious activity that comes along with it. And by keeping it localized, it's better for the community. Yeah. And, you know, to give you an example, so like a good friend of mine, his name is Tom Beller. He owns Real Leaf Solutions up in Kalkaska. Great grower of flour. 
I try to buy all and source all my products from the smaller mom and prop pop companies that are still around. Um, you know, it's getting, it gets a little harder and harder because a lot of rich guys are getting into the industry and they're putting product out there and they're offering it for cheaper prices than mom and pop can offer it. So, you know, it, it, it's difficult at times, but I try my damnedest to make sure I take care of the people that are left in the game that were there with me when I started. And how long can we, how long can we keep that up? Well, I, I'm not stupid. I know not forever. I know how the world works and I know that money usually trumps everything. And, you know, it, it, and the biggest, the biggest thing that hurts me more than anything is like, I know corporate America is going to come, but the, the biggest problem I see right now is that a lot of, a lot of people, even they're, they're coming into the game. Now they forgot about the patience. Nobody talks about patience anymore. Yeah. And it's about making money. And, you know, I pride myself on the greenhouse. I try to hire bartenders that, either have an ailment or no cannabis in and out from, you know, from the medical side, it's easy to hire somebody that says, yeah, man, hundred milligrams, you'll get super high, bro. That's not the kind of <laughs> employees that I look for. You know, we have a yeah. great customer patient base at the greenhouse. And I've always made that commitment that I'm always going to stay with the patients and try to help them the best I can. And it gets more difficult by the day. You know, you see a lot of the, the vendors, you know, manufacturing a lot more product for the retail, uh, the recreational market than, than medical. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a challenge, you know, when corporate America comes in, you're not going to have a medical program anymore. It'll be gone. I guarantee it'll be gone. But there's still medical uses for all cannabis. A lot of rec users come in now and they'll buy something and like, wow, I slept like a champ or, oh, my gosh, my back doesn't hurt or my neuropathy. You know, there's a lot of different, you know, so a lot of rec users are finding a medical use for it. But, yeah, corporate America sucks. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, my goal is to be the true value to the Home Depots that are coming. I want to be the alternative. Like I go to Home Depot, I can't find anybody in any aisle. And usually I know more about plumbing than a guy at Home Depot. And I don't know much about plumbing. <laughs> but when I go to Peter's True Value by my house, mm -hmm. they know everything about anything. They're a little bit more pricey, but guess what? When I need the right fixture, <clears throat> I don't have to make 15 trips to Peter's True Value because they know what they're talking about. Yeah. My goal is to be the Peter's True Value of the cannabis industry up against the Home Depots. That makes total sense because it's also about supporting your local community, but also sourcing from local sources. So it's it, it for it's almost like being like vertically integrated, but with local sourcing for cannabis, basically. Right, right, hundred percent. And being vertically integrated is great, but you know, a lot of the companies that are vertically integrated right now are learning that in an early market that's not mature, vertical integration is not the best idea. Mm. And uh, you know, they're, they're learning that quickly. And my thing was I could have a grow, I could have a process, I could have a store, but I don't want to be jack of all trades, master of none. So I'm sticking with the retail end. I have friends that are great vendors of edibles and things like that. And I have great friends that are growers. And my goal is to help these guys stay in business because they're going to need help. Yeah. And if I can help them, that's what I'm here for. So when you were going further into like, you know, the bill finally got passed in Michigan by Schneider and everything like that. Um, <laughs> It wasn't like the next day you were opening the doors to all recreational sales, right? So what what kind of processes did you have to deal with? Was there a lot of feet dragging and stuff? Like what did you have to do to get to that point? It was a flipping nightmare because they still act like we're selling plutonium. We are so overregulated. I mean, seriously, like if you could see the tag, if you came to the store and you ordered a, an eighth of flour, if you saw the size of the sticker that I had to put on the bag, you, it would blow your mind. You know, um, the regulations are just, they're, they're just, look, I understand you need to be regulated and all this, but the, the over-regulation, it, 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 it's insane. 
it, it just it, it really is insane and you know when we first opened up medically there was a shortage you know me and the governor i got along with her for a while i i gave quite a bit of money to her her campaign and then um you know uh i feel she failed us uh caregivers which were the original the originators of the cannabis industry for patients um were allowed into the industry in the beginning because there was a shortage and they were allowed the caregivers to come in and sell their cannabis to me and i could resell it <clears throat> i mean I, and I was all for that well the big corporate guys weren't making the money they thought they were going to make. So they lobbied the governor's office and they have bigger pockets than us. And they wrote bigger checks and she took the caregiver network away when we really truly needed it. So I started a campaign called patients over profit and she didn't like that too much. So her and I had a couple of disagreements and I still don't agree with her. She took the caregivers away and you know, the caregivers aren't happy with her. And now, you know, the, the hurdles to get in the industry are very difficult. Mm -hmm. So we had product for quite a while. Then it was a shortage. And we were able to finally get the shortage going. Then we went recreational. <clears throat> when we went recreational, there were no products at all. Um, you know, I, my, my, you know, there just there were no products. So it was very difficult. Now there's, there's, now there's too much product. Now there's, you know, there's a plethora of product out there. So it went from one extreme to the other. But in the early days, holy smokes, man, it was it was hard source of product, and you know, it's gotten easier. But, you know, the caregivers have been left out in the cold, the people that actually built this industry. And I think that, you know, there was a, a way they could have been brought in. And I think that 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 uh, that ship has sailed, though, unfortunately, because, you know, none of the legislators really took it upon themselves to bring the caregivers in back into the market, which I wish they would have, because, you know, they know how to grow weed. And if you don't have two or three million dollars to start up a big grow, you're going to be left out in the cold, unfortunately. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by caregivers? Because in my head, that's like a nurse who takes care of a sick person. Yeah, right, right. So, <laughs> right. So what it is, is when, when you get your medical card, you can grow your own plants if you like, oh. or you can go to a dispensary now with the card and buy on the medical side. But um, like I was a caregiver and as a caregiver, you're allowed to have five patients under you plus yourself. So six patients total, 12 plants, which is 72 plants. 72 plants produces a hell of a lot of weed, <laughs> a lot. So those caregivers weren't supposed to be able to sell it and make money. They were allowed to recoup their costs. But the caregiver network went a little bit further than that. And, you know, they, it got out and people were selling stuff on the streets and it got kind of crazy. And there's still a huge, you know, there's still a, there's a black market, which I call all the illegal people that are just trying to sell weed to make money and have all these illegal delivery services, you know. And then there's the gray market. There's caregivers that are people that are really trying to help each other and not just try to make money. But the black market is our problem. Caregivers are people that really care. But there's a lot of uh, black market shysters hiding under the caregiver blanket. And I've had several conversations with Dana Nessel, and maybe this will get to Dana. I talked to her, and there's a lot of illegal delivery services out there that kids can order from. And they have way more products than I do, and they're a lot cheaper, and they're not tested. And, you know, I could go to a high school parking lot right now and order a pound of weed from one of these illegal delivery services that operate all over the, the state, especially in Oakland County. I could order a pound of weed in a high school parking lot tomorrow and no one's doing anything about it. You know, there's uh, black market vape pens that have vitamin E acetate that cause people to die and have lung transplants. Wow. And right now, Dana's not doing anything about it. And I, I pound her every day. I'm like, Dana, you got to do something about the black market, the true black market that's trying to make money off people and selling them poison. That's different than the real caregiver market. But there's, there's a real problem on the streets with the black market. And I'm hoping that Dana Nessel and the governor open their eyes and quit using COVID as an excuse to not break down on it. How would you 
uh, how do you approach the black market? Like, how do you crack down on that and kind of eliminate that as an option for people? Well, I mean, you can go, <laughs> you can go online right now and there's a bunch of delivery services that you can just call and order weed right to your house. And all this, all this, all Dana has to do, the attorney general is do a sting operation. Have them deliver it, arrest a couple of the illegal delivery services, the big guys. I mean, the true black market, arrest a couple of them, and guess what? It gets on the news. Most of them will stop. But right now, there is zero enforcement on the streets. Zero. And look, I don't care if people get cannabis from their friend or from their real caregiver. But when you can order a pound of weed as a teenager from an illegal delivery service, mm -hmm. that needs to stop. Or a vape pen that might have poison in it. That needs to stop. This, what ha what needs to happen? A kid need to die? Does somebody, does some child, a child need to die because he got a hold of a poison vape pen that he ordered illegal, illegally off the internet? Because that's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to get a poison vape pen or something. Somebody's going to die or get real sick, and then they're going to say, "Oh, we need to stop this." And I'm going to be like, "Hey, I've been asking you to stop it for two years. It's going to be a problem. N none of the, nobody wants to touch it though. But something bad is going to happen. You mark my words." Yeah, I mean. That's super, like, not interesting. That's not the right word because it's a very sad scenario. But, like, um, interesting to think about how regulation helps everybody by making sure that the product is helping, is not being released in a way that's, like, illegal, not to the wrong people, like kids. Like, um, right. so it's, like, about finding that right balance and regulation kind of based on what you were saying. Right now you feel very overregulated, but there's this black market that's producing all of this shit that's really bad for a lot of people and not regulating in the ways that you need it to. Right, right. And I'm all for the caregiver network. And I want – I look, I would love to hear, have the caregiver system back into the legal market with us on the retail end more than anything because I think they grow great cannabis. Um, the people I have problems with are all these guys riding the coattails of the real caregivers coming into the black market and selling their shit to anybody that wants to buy it. And it's real easy. Just do a search on the Internet and put in marijuana delivery services and all the illegal ones are going to pop up. And, and they're real. You know, they're easy. They're easy to bust. It's not, it's not difficult. You know, they're on the Internet. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, the Greenhouse of Wild Lake. You have gotten a lot of national attention recently for um, a promotion that you guys are putting on. So tell us about that promotion. What's up? Uh, which one? Pots for Shots? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, uh, being in cannabis is difficult in the sense that we can't advertise. We're not allowed to advertise unless it's print or billboards. And, you know, those are great. But after a while... You know, they don't do so much for you. So you always have to think of, you know, outside the box. And obviously everybody knows about COVID and it's been shitty and it's horrible. So I'm like, what can we do to maybe just kind of help out? So I thought, you know what, why don't we do, give something away? So everybody likes free stuff. So we decided to give a free pre-roll away and like, let's get, think of a catchy name. So we called it Pot for Shots and it did real well. And I didn't think it would take off like it did. But CNN covered it. NBC News sent out a live crew and they did live shots all day. Shepard Smith was talking about it on MSNBC, Russia Today, New York Daily News. Wall Street, we were just in an article today in the Wall Street Journal. Wow. Um, it, it, it mushroomed bigger than anything I could ever have hoped for. And so we got I, mean, I was getting emails from all over the country, you know, about, you know, from can people in the cannabis industry saying thank you for, you know, putting a good face on cannabis. Because it's just another way to promote and show, hey, look, man, people in cannabis are not bad people. They're just like you and me. Uh, you know, we're just normal people. And if we can get back a little bit, my friends at You Baked, 
um, cannabis company up in Burton, Michigan stepped up and helped me out with the pre-rolls. We gave about 10,000 away. Wow. And because, um, you know, the roll on the vaccine has been so slow, I just talked to him yesterday and we just, we announced it today. We're going to extend it till the end of April that you get a free pre-roll with your proof of vaccination. It's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, it, uh, it's, you know, and, and people, you know, we get a couple of kooks, like somebody, you know, called and left me a voicemail saying I killed Larry King and I'm going to kill millions of people with this poison. And I'm like, and my thing is, you know, I don't want to make it political because I'm not super political. Um, My thing is, look, it's freedom of choice. If you want to get the vaccine, that's your choice. It's still America. Last time I checked, if you don't want to get the vaccine, well, that's your choice. Also, you decide if you get it, I'm going to give you a free (laughs) pre-roll. 90% of my seniors have gotten the vaccine, you know, and, and, and they got their free pre-roll and they've been ecstatic about it. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, how cool to have patients come in with a smile on, on their face because of that, too. You know, that's, that's pretty oh, heartwarming for you and your staff as well, too, right? I can't, I, I can't even tell you. When we first opened, I mean, it blew my mind. People were coming up and thanking me for opening. There were senior citizens coming to give me hugs. Jerry, thank you so much. We know that you were here for six years, and we know the fight you, the fight you put up to, to be in business. And thank you so much for fighting it out and, and toughing it out. And we really appreciate it. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know, there's not many professions or businesses you can own to where you, you're helping people and i mean i knew we'd help people but i never thought they'd come up and thank me for it so no it's awesome i love it it makes me feel great because listen how much money do you need money I, my money is not my motivating factor i had plenty of money to survive before i got into weed and i'll be fine if i don't make any money in weed you know i mean i mean i don't need a a yacht and a mansion and a ferrari that's not who i am mm-hmm. i have an apple watch and a lease car so and it's a, it's a Ram truck, <laughs> you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real materialistic person. So, you know, more money is just, you know, we give back. I, I, I gave $10,000 to a bunch of families at Christmas and we did $5,000 in turkeys <clears throat> and, you know, doing the, being able to have that kind of money now to, to help and give back to the community is great. Cause I, I let my kids listen in to when we'd call the families that we picked for Christmas, I let my kids listen to the phone conversations because these people were, you know, a thousand dollars saved somebody's Christmas. And these people were crying on the phone and making me cry. And it was, it was, I felt like, oh my God, I'm getting soft. And my kids could hear that. <laughs> and I want my kids to understand that money's not everything. And, you know, maybe 500 or a thousand dollars to us might be like not a lot of money, but this just saved somebody's Christmas. And I want my kids to hear those stories because I don't want them to ever take anything for granted in life because there's nothing guaranteed. That's amazing. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you for giving us your time out of your busy schedule with everything going on. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want our listeners to know? You know, if you don't believe in cannabis, just do some research. Because I guarantee you, who's ever hearing this, you know somebody that uses cannabis. Um, And maybe you don't know it, but somebody you know uses cannabis. And you never know when you're going to be in a situation where maybe you need it or a loved one need it. So do your homework. You can always not agree with something, but don't try to bring somebody else down because we're adults. It's America. It's freedom of choice. I'm not saying get high and drive a car. I'm saying if you want to smoke a joint or eat a gummy bear, come on. It's marijuana. It's not, you know, it's not methamphetamines. Yep. That's a great point. Well, Jerry, again, thank you so, so much. It's been extremely fascinating and we very much appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. Any, anything we can do to help normalize cannabis, I'm all for it. You guys have a great one. You too. too.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Things My Friends Know. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.